Hey, Lighthouse Niagara family, this is Pastor Joel Sloss. I hope that the message you received today blesses you so, so much. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you this morning as we come together in reverence and remembrance and in recognition of what you did upon that cross, that we know we have been saved, we have been delivered, that we have been set free, and from this, there is no turning back. Lord, that we give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the thanks this morning, that you would send your son to die for us, broken, sinful, deserving of the punishment of death, and you took our place, and you made a way for us to come into relationship with the Father that we would accept this in our hearts and from this we would never, never turn back. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning, Lighthouse Church family, and a very happy Easter weekend to all of you. And, and to those who, who will still watch this sermon in, uh, online, happy Easter. Today is, of course, Good Friday. And this is a day that we as believers have chosen, have selected to celebrate, that we are celebrating death, which sounds strange. But we are celebrating, in fact, the remembrance of our Savior's sacrifice for us. Today is April 7th, 2023, if I checked my calendar correctly. If I'm not correct, you can correct me later. But the day we are gathered together to remember actually took place April 3rd, AD 33. A day that will be firmly anchored in human history in the course of of history, this one day, April 3rd, AD 33, it stands alone as the most significant, the most momentous plot of hatred turned to an act of pure love. 1,990 years ago, a carpenter from ancient Israel was nailed to a wooden cross these wooden beams that took the form of of this crucifixion cross, and he died for crimes that he did not commit. Halfway around the world, two millenniums ago, a simple man died not because he was a lestis, this this word that the ancient Greek people used to uh, describe a rebel or a bandit, an insurrectionist. This was what they called that man, lestis, a bandit and a a rebel against Rome. He died for the Jewish people as well, who demanded that he be put there, his own people. He died for the Roman soldiers that nailed him to that cross. He died for Judas Iscariot, one of his dearest friends, who sold him to his murderer for just 30 silver pieces. It's not even a half a year's wages. 
And yet this person that I keep referring to, this ancient man, uh, this ancient Jewish man from Israel, he was, he was not just any man. His name was Jesus of Nazareth, but he went by many other names. He was also called rabbi, meaning teacher. He was called son of man and son of God. He was called wonderful counselor, prince of peace. And the name that we're perhaps most familiar with, with uh, today is Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. Now scholars debate the length of, of how long his life would have been, but most agree that Jesus would have lived somewhere between 33 and 40 years. And the most commonly accepted is that first number, 33 years. But for our purposes today, it doesn't necessarily matter how many days in total he lived. You see, his, life, his whole life was of much value to us as believers, and yet, really, the accounts that we have of his life are, are really only covering three of those 33 years, the years of his ministry. In August of, of 2024, I will be in ministry for the same length of, as Jesus, three years. And unless things start to really ramp up, I'm, I'm really starting to worry that Jesus' three years of ministry will far outshine my first three years. But truly, it's, it's very remarkable to think that in the course of all of human history, we really only have this, these records of, of three of those years of Jesus' life given to us. And much more than this, that for our lives on this side of eternity and the next, we really only truly need record of one of those days. This day, April 3rd, 33 A.D., the day on which Jesus, the man called by many names, was hung upon a cross by the Roman soldiers, ordered not by the governor Pontius Pilate's wrath, but at the hands of his own people. Pilate washed his hands clean and delivered him to them. They didn't call him son of God that day. They didn't call him prince of peace. They didn't call him anointed one. They mocked him, calling him king of the Jews which is a title that he did deserve, but it was not one that they recognized. As I stated earlier, the Romans called him Lestis, the title reserved for a scourge against Rome, who came to overthrow their government in the hopes of establishing a kingdom of their own in its stead. And while the Romans believed that they were stopping this man from establishing a kingdom, what they were actually doing was starting one. This was just the outset of God's kingdom on this side of eternity and the next. And the enemy called Satan. He called Jesus defeated. And yet Jesus said, in my weakness, he is strong. God the Father is strong and he knows the way. And while you say I am defeated, I know that I have victory. You see, every action, every beating he received, every nail driven into his hand, every strike at Jesus' heels, every plot of hatred against him were not for his punishment, but for our reward. That when we look upon that cross that hangs behind me, we don't depict Jesus hanging on that cross as others uh, may. There are other churches where they will depict Jesus, still hanging on that cross, but we don't. As Pentecostals, as Protestant believers, we know where Jesus is today, and he's not hanging on any cross, and he's not laying in any tomb. He is risen, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen? 
my Redeemer lives. What the enemy intended for evil, Jesus took it and he worked it for our good. What the enemy thought was the worst day in human history was in fact a very good Friday. He struck nails, he struck nails in my Jesus' hands and in his heels, and yet when that veil tore, Jesus crushed that serpent's head as it had been prophesied from the beginning in Genesis 3.15. Jesus had won the victory, and this is why we celebrate our Savior's death rather than mourning. So I don't want you to be remorseful in the closing of today's service when we worship together. I want you to be joyful that Jesus is alive because of this. You too have been given the gift of eternal life if you will accept it and you will accept his sacrifice for you. But I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? I have a tendency to get overzealous and, and, and jump to the good part when I watch TV shows or when I read books or if I listen to a song, I'll just jump to the part that I like. And, and this is the gospel, translated as God's spell, God's story, or, or the good story, or as many of you would know it, the good news. When people ask me if I want bad news or the good news first, I'm tempted to tell them, just give me the good news and forget about the bad news. After all, if the good news is good enough, then that bad news can't possibly matter. For example, the bad news in this case is that you have sin in your life that will separate you from God for all of eternity. But here's the good news. Jesus died for those sins, and he made a way. Hooray! Forget about the bad news. Let's all just accept that free gift of salvation and move on, shall we? We can't just do that. And this story that I'm going to read for us today, it tells us exactly why that is. So rather than getting ahead of ourselves and jump into the good part of the story, which is going to be told Easter Sunday, let's read from his word, shall we? Luke 23. Uh, specifically, I'm going to be reading 26 to 27 and 32 to 43. It says, As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country. And they put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. And a large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Now, as I read the rest of this passage, I want you to place yourself on this walk from Jerusalem to Golgotha, where Jesus would be crucified. Before I had ever started sitting down to write this message, this was uh, the, the image, the vision that I was given by God walking through those city streets. Perhaps you can look through the eyes of this man they, they call Simon from Cyrene. Lugging this rugged cross upon your back, this Messiah in front of you, Jesus, with the flesh of his back torn, his body broken, the women crying out, mourning for the injustice of this scene. Luke does us this supposed favor by leaving out a lot of the gory details. And it would have been hard to stomach this scene, but I need you to recognize the horrors that were taking place on that day for the imagery that God chose to save you was intended. It never was going to be pretty. It was never going to be beautiful. 
the picture of blood dripping down our Savior's brow, the nails being driven deep through his flesh, rending it into the wood like a sacrificial lamb on the altars of the Old Testament. Only this was no sheep. It was not just a human, but it was our Savior, fully man and fully God, on a sacrificial altar of his own. The cross that hangs behind me is smooth, and it has finish. It's been sanded down to be very nice uh, to the touch, but the wood that Jesus' cross, the wood that was on Jesus' cross, it was rough. It was hewn to be an example to all who would look upon it. It was intended to drive fear and shame into any who would look upon it. It would, it would do this, this thing of, of scaring away anybody who would see a man hanging on the cross. That they would stop following or stop believing in men like Jesus who said that they could offer freedom. Don't follow these men who tell you that you can receive freedom by following them. And yet what I claimed to you when we see this cross on Easter morning, it is a sign of hope. It is a sign of joy. It is a sign of, perhaps most of all, freedom. And why is that? Let's keep reading. Two other men, both criminals, were also led with him to be executed. When they came to the same place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals. One on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching. The rulers even snared at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Save us. In the account of the crucifixion given from Matthew's gospel, we read that both of these criminals hung on crosses of their own. Along with all of these crowds, they began to mock Jesus. And that is true. Both of those criminals were mocking Jesus. But I chose to read Luke's instead. And here is the reason. Because as it says, the first criminal hurls insults. It says in verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the message of the cross. This is the hope. This is the joy. This is the freedom. We read this passage, and it all sounds so horrific. This scene that I'm telling you to picture in your head, it's gruesome. The streets are filled with wailing, with despair. 
Our Savior is on this cross and he's gasping for air as he's coughing up blood, as he's having a spear pushed through his side. It's all so desperate, it's all so hopeless, and yet how does it end? With a message of perfection. A writing to the wrongs of the man who hung upon the cross along with Jesus. Who recognized just two simple truths. He had sinned, and Jesus was the Son of God. You know, I spent nearly two years of my life at seminary studying theology, the study of God. And I've spent hours and hours poring over scripture, doing word studies, trying to find out the, the meaning of original Greek transcripts, transcripts. And you know what I've realized when I read this passage? Sometimes we complicate our faith a little bit too much. I look at this thief on the cross next to Jesus and I realize two very important things. This was a man who was mocking Jesus moments before he came to some sort of change of heart or, or Something had come to mind, and I believe that that was a revelation from God, that there was a drawing by God, the Father, to the Son. But in this sudden change of heart, the thief on a criminal's cross realizes two very important things. He's gotten himself there. He is nailed to the cross that he deserves. His sins have put him there. He realizes the second thing. The man in the middle named Jesus, not only did he not deserve to be on that cross, but he was the son of God. And the thief asked Jesus one simple request, remember me when you get to heaven. And Jesus responds, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It's, it was so simple. At the outset of this message, when we began to read this passage, I told you to put yourself in the place of Simon, and I led you astray. And I promise this is the first and last time when you hear me preach that I will intentionally lead you astray. I will never mislead you in any other of my sermons, but it was for good reason. I have a purpose in this. You see, I told you to make yourself like Simon, this servant who was lugging this heavy cross for Jesus, doing a work to bless your Savior, and to partake in his suffering, because that's who I aspire to be in this story. I want to be Simon. I want to be like this man who's from a far-off country, who has nothing to do with the sins of Israel, who has nothing to do with these Roman soldiers who nail him to a cross, or the criminals who hang next to Jesus scoffing and mocking him. I want to wipe my hands clean like Pontius Pilate. I want to say that I had nothing to do with that. But that's the problem. We complicate the gospel. We make it about us when it's all about him. You see, we're not like Simon. In this moment, recognize your sins. Recognize your trespasses. Recognize your shame. And most of all, recognize that cross that you deserve. And suddenly you realize you're not Simon. You're that criminal. That criminal that was very nearly too late he was nailed to that cross on his way to a death that he knew he deserved. And yet all he had to realize were two simple things. He may have earned that cross on his own. And he knew he was already nailed to it. 
it's a pretty quick way to realize that there's absolutely no way that he could escape death on his own. And two, he realizes that before him hanging on this cross is this true son of God who had promised a kingdom to any who would believe on him. And so I picture this thief passing from this side of eternity to the next, and he shows up at the pearly white gates, and there's an angel standing there, and he's got his, his book of uh, names written by God. And he says, oh, yes, of course. Uh, but, but, but before you go in, we just have to clarify a few things. Are, are, are you clear on the doctrine of the incarnation? And the thief says, no, no, nothing like that. Okay, well, well, surely you know of the justification by faith. No, I, I, I don't know that one either. And the angel says, so, so what, what gives you the right, what makes you think that you can show up here and come inside? And you know what that thief would say? The man in the middle cross told me I could come. You see, we're just like that criminal. We're dead in our trespasses, and yet, even after we accept Jesus it's, and, and it's paid in full, somehow we become even worse than this criminal as we so often find ourselves trying to shake ourselves off of our cross. To those who believe heaven is a place for good people, let me correct you now. Let me correct you out of love that you may know that there is a better way. And there's only one true way, and that is to confess that you are not good enough. That you have sinned, that you have fallen short of the glory of God. And recognize that there is a way and a better way. There is the way, the truth, and the life. To believe in Jesus and to acknowledge that he was and is the Son of God. That he died for your sins. And confess that. Make him Lord of your life. And what does he say to those who would profess their belief in him? He says, truly I say to you, that on the day that you pass from this side to the next, you will join me in paradise. It's that simple. It is so simple. And yet we muddy it up so much in our lives. Can it be that easy? Can it, can it be that simple? All it takes is for me to plead the cross over my sin, over my shame. All it takes is for me to profess my shortcomings to God and say, God, can you help me experience victory over my sin, over my shame, over my marriage, over my addiction, over my insufficiencies, my inadequacies, that sin that I keep going to? Where do I come in? What do I have to do? When do I start to get involved? When do I do a work unto the Lord that would make him recognize my worth? And the nerve, the audacity of some believers to think, I got saved by grace, but now that I'm in this deep, dark place of bondage, I better work pretty hard to get myself out. What? That's the opposite of the gospel. That's the ancient Israelites clinging to the law while Paul begged them and begged them that returning to the law is trampling underfoot what Jesus did on the cross. Have you ever felt that you are bound by this shame, by this sin, that you are held under the power of overwhelming temptation to be isolated in your sin, 
these, these sexual urges, the lying, the anger, that sin in your life, do you feel like it's controlling you? What are you going to do about it? Well, while well, I'm going to shake myself free, stop it. No, you won't. You're no match for the powers of hell. You're no match for the powers of sin and darkness. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not about what we do in this world. But our war is against the rulers. It's against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And guess what? They've already got their legal right over you. The moment you first sinned, you were dead in your trespasses. Pastor Dave says it all the time. How many sins does it take to separate us from God? How many? One. Just, just one sin. And you will never shake yourself from that bondage of sin. You will never overcome it. You will not overcome it and you will never overcome it. There is no answer within yourself, your own goodness, your own discipline, your own devotion. It will not save you. It will not save you, and it will not save your family, and it will not save your children. You will never live up. And there's the bad news. But here's the good news. Here is the gospel. Translated from the Greek, by all my years of study at Bible college, God's spell, God's story, or more simply, the good news. Which means, well, yeah, we had to hear about the bad news, Here's the good news. Sin has no power over you if you will accept the message of the gospel. The message of God's good news to you. You may never be enough, but there is one who is. There's only one who was ever or ever will be enough, and he's the one that took your place on that cross 2,000 years ago. And he's asking you to recognize just two things. And I'm going to close with this. I'll have the worship team come up. Recognize these two things. That you have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. Profess that you are a sinner. Confess your sins to him and ask him for, for forgiveness. Cor correction, I'm, I'm not going to ask the worship team up. It's, it's Anil and Terry, I believe, are going to come up. Recognize that you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Profess that you are a sinner. Confess your sins to him and ask him for forgiveness. And two, believe on him. Believe in this son of God who hangs on that middle cross, who is giving his life for you so that you may call out to him. The only, by way, the only way by which you can come into relationship with God the Father was this perfect sacrificial lamb to die in your place. To pay the debt of your sin. But who would ever trade perfection for your shame? Who would ever trade the weight of the sin of all mankind for the perfection that they earned when they inherited the kingdom? Who is this sacrificial lamb? In a moment after the special, we're going to partake of communion. It's otherwise known as the Lord's Supper. Or the Last Supper. A command of Jesus, the Son of God who died for you. That as often as we break bread and drink together, that we would proclaim the Lord's death until his return. 
But before we do that, before we take communion, I want to explain it clearly. You see, this Last Supper that we often see depicted by the, the artist Leonardo da Vinci was actually a meal that was written in Scripture which took place during Passover. A celebration with feasts and meals which consisted of many different kinds of food and many different traditions in the, in the Jewish uh, culture. But the staples of almost any meal in ancient Israel were sure to include two elements, the unleavened bread and the wine, along with whatever main course they would partake of. But this is why Jesus institutes this remembrance, that any, at any time a family or friends or, or any group of believers, really, any time that we would break bread together, let us remember him. But what was it about this specific Passover meal that was different from any other culture, from any other Passover meal that had ever been served? Go ahead, later read Luke 22, and you will see it is not what is included in the meal that is different, but what is missing. Jesus gets up at a Passover, and it's the most abnormal Passover in history because there's the wine. We, 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 read, we read in, in Luke, there's, there's two cups of wine. Actually, there's, there's, more, there's more than two cups, but we see these cups of wine, and secondly, there's the unleavened bread. But what's missing? Jesus never gives them a, the main course. There's no main. Of course, now some people would say, well, Luke just didn't record it. We, we, we've read Luke's gospel. In comparison to the other gospels, we know that Luke sometimes leaves out details in his narrative, and, and maybe he just left this out because he didn't think it was significant. But Matthew leaves it out. Mark leaves it out. They all, they all leave it out. All four Gospels leave it out. This isn't one author missing some details. It's a poignant example of seeing that it is not always what is written in Scripture, but what is left out that God is trying to, to, to reveal something. Here's the point, this astounding point, that there is wine and there's unleavened bread, but there's no lamb on the table because the lamb of God was at the table. He said, I am eager to eat this meal with you, to partake of my flesh and my blood, which are for you. Not that we are cannibals, but this is the only way to, that, that salvation is a constant remembrance of what Jesus did for us. The only way to consistently run to that cross, and this is that image, that vision that I was given, to run through those busy streets filled with those who will try to tear down your Savior, savior and mock him before you. There will be obstacles, there will be people who are wailing, and you will be tempted to believe their cries that all hope is lost. There will be adversaries, and there will be enemies who will try to stop you from falling at the foot of the cross. There will be sin, and there will be strongholds that the enemy would try to have you believe, disqualify you from the truth of the gospel. But run to that cross. It is by faith in the grace of God alone. You're going to be tempted to shake yourself free, to work unto the Lord, to earn it. But look at the meal and remember what is missing. Remember that lamb who was slain and do not forget it. Jesus commanded us to remember it often for a reason. Because we have to shake ourselves of this pattern of returning to the law. That's what we have to shake ourselves of of attempting to live up to this unachievable standard 
This law that condemns you, that, that you need to shake yourself of this misunderstanding of the gospel and cling to the cross and never let go. Now, I may be very young, but in perhaps just this one way, I, I, I believe I have an old soul. I have such an appreciation for the poetry of the hymns that my grandparents sang. I grew up going to a German Pentecostal camp. And, and what that meant was that all of these old omas and opas who went to service in the great big wooden tabernacle, they loved to sing the hymns. And they would fill this great big structure with a choir of praise. And it is the most beautiful thing I've ever heard. And there's this one hymn that stood out to me as I finished writing my sermon. It's one of my favorite, favorites, and I believe that it is the most fitting for today's message. There are just two verses and one chorus which repeats after each verse. And the message of the lyrics tell us that we have to lay down our trophies. Forget all of these seemingly shiny things to lay down the efforts of man to earn the esteem of God and others. Lay them down, all of these beautiful trophies, all of these beautiful things, lay them down and cling instead to this rough-hewn old wooden cross which is the emblem of sin and shame. And as you hear it, it sounds so counter to the way in which we think. But in believing this simple truth, we are set free from the weights of sin and our own expectations, and we can finally accept the gift of salvation that our Savior won for us. Now, Scripture tells us that we should make a joyful noise unto the Lord, which is why I'm going to read these lyrics instead of singing them. Because we want to make a joyful noise on this Good Friday, and I will give you guys a chance to do that in a moment with uh, my friend Anil and, and Terry. But I will read these lyrics with great joy and with gladness as my benediction to you. The song reads, On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame, and I love that old cross. We're the dearest and best. For a world of lost sinners was slain. And so I'll cherish the old rugged cross. Till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross. And exchange it someday for a crown. To the old rugged cross I will ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear then he'll call me someday to my home far away where his glory forever i'll share and i will cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last i lay down and i will cling i will cling to that old rugged cross and i'll exchange it someday for a crown we're going to close in prayer, uh, and, and then I'll have uh, my, my, my friends Terry and, and Anil uh, share a special with us. Shall we pray? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so, so very much that it's not about us. It's not about how good we are or how much we attempt to live up to a certain standard because we know in ourselves that that weight of sin, that weight of shame, they are too much 
they will overbear us in every way, in every shape, in every form. We are insufficient to the task. We cannot make a way, but there is a way. There is one way, one truth, one life, and his name is Jesus, the Christ, the Redeemer, the Prince of Peace, the, 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 the Counselor, the Savior, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And he lived and he died for us, that we may come into relationship with the Father. Lord, I pray as we leave this place on this Good Friday morning, that we would understand the beauty and the message of the cross, which is freedom to all who would look upon that, that man, that, that carpenter on that middle cross, who was not just any man, but was fully man and fully God, the son of man, the son of God who died for us. Lord, we claim that victory in Jesus today. And to any who do not know you, Lord, I pray that they would draw near to you and that you would draw near to them. And you would say to them, you will be with me this day on paradise, the day that they pass from this side of eternity to the next, and that they will live in the joy of the Lord for the rest of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Hey Lighthouse family, thanks so much for tuning in to another one of our podcast sermons. I'm Pastor Joel Sloss. For more podcasts, media, and live stream services at lighthouseniagara.com, Sundays at 10 o'clock. God bless.